It is Wednesday, my dudes, which means it's time for the pregame podcast. Where Dan brings back an old meme of, it's Wednesday, my dudes. Listen. (laughs) Really? The quarantine's getting to me. I feel my brain melting. Also, because it's very hot in my room right now. In my my office, it is is incredibly warm. You need some AC in there, pal. I I do need some AC, but paying for the AC is not something I want to do at the moment. (laughs) <laughs> listen I'm, I'm sweating off i'm sweating off the covid calories we were talking about i'm saving money everything's good okay hey i mean i turned my ac on a while ago see i kind of i do want to do that but like i don't know like the, the the windows are open the breeze is nice it's the humidity man it's the humidity that is killing me that it does that in pennsylvania yes speaking of killing me no i'm kidding however what's not killing me is how just ridiculous the seattle mariners are as a baseball team you're gonna you're gonna love this we bring ian on a little bit later in the show and talk about it plus the onside kick might be getting a little rework and kaylin we agree that this is a good idea it is a good idea it's the best idea football's had in a while they have a couple of good ones going on right now simultaneously, but it certainly is one of the more exciting ones. We're going to get into some of those details a little later on. But first, we're starting off, as always, with our winners and losers. Sports are starting to claw their way back. NASCAR's back in action. We just heard yesterday that NHL is back in action, or at least they're another step closer. Kalen, with all of these people getting back to sports, who's your winner this week? Ironically, uh, a sport that quote, I shouldn't say quote unquote, that actually came back probably two or three weeks ago here in Pennsylvania is uh, golf. Oh, well, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. You can get it's a lot easier for you to social distance and follow COVID-19 CDC guidelines. Exactly. With, with golf. Exactly. So golf is back. It has been back. And my winner this week or winners, I should say are good old Peyton Manning and Tiger Woods for Ah. beating the combo of Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady this past weekend. And I don't know if you watched any of that, Dan, um, as it was broadcast on TNT, the whole thing. Um, But it was very well done. I really enjoyed it. They had GoPros in the golf carts. It was funny how they did it because they had the commentator and then they had Brady and Peyton and, you know, Phil and Tiger mic'd up. So Mm -hmm. they also had earpieces, so they were like conversing with each other at times, or at least Peyton. Peyton did a lot of it because, you know, Peyton should be in a broadcasting booth if you're asking me. It's just a very likable personality, and he's very easy to talk to. So he was going back and forth with the Mm -hmm. broadcasters. And the even better part was the broadcasters were like with the camera crew on the green at the same spot as like Peyton and Brady and you know, all the guys. And it it was pretty, it was pretty neat. It was really well done. Bravo to TNT. Bravo is another channel that they own. So Bravo to TNT, Um, you know, (laughs) but um, I I think you're looking for Bravo to, to Turner broadcasting. I think that's, I think if you go far enough up the line, I think Turner's the one that owns everybody at this point. It, it is Turner. Turner owns Turner owns CBS, TNT, Bravo. Oh, what else did they own? Uh, they, they own something else that's really big and I can't think of at the moment. 
Basically, uh, <laughs> if it broadcasts March Madness, they own it. Yeah. <laughs> of course, that was that was just great. I, I did see highlights of the the spectacle and everything, and some of the 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 light ribbing and and a little bit of trash talking between um brady and manning and and everyone else and it was it was good fun and it's nice to uh i mean you know after the gap that we've had with you know really any such sports when things start to come back we're really clawing to whatever we can get not not that saying that you know this was just some random thing and that we watched because it was the only thing on far from it it was great oh yeah but i would have watched this honestly even if like the celtics were playing to mm -hmm. be uh, to be fair like they were it was it was really entertaining content. Yeah. It was really good, and it's 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 nice to get some of that back, uh, you know, back in the public eye for uh, you know for people to enjoy. It is indeed. So, Dan, with that being my winner this week, who is your winner for this week? My winner is I'm going to say the people of Miami are the winners this week. The people of Miami. Do tell me why. Because the Miami Dolphins are trying to help the people of Miami through. The whole COVID-19 thing. Now, people make fun of Florida a lot because Florida maybe hasn't been, you know, the most stringent when it comes to following some stuff. I think they were the first people to, like, open beaches back up and stuff like that. Um, well, I mean, Florida is one giant beach, except yeah. for the middle and the north, so. Yeah, but what Miami did is they decided to open up a, or I should say what the Dolphins did was they decided to turn Hard Rock Stadium, the football stadium where the Miami Dolphins play, into an open drive-in movie theater. Now that's an idea. They are launching an outdoor drive-in theater inside the stadium where they're going to be showing classic games from team history, different ceremonies, uh, and they're also looking at possibly doing some concerts and stuff like that, too. So that is something they're looking into. They said that with their mock-ups right now and, and some logistics, they could fit 230 cars inside the stadium to enjoy the uh, the offerings of a uh, drive-in theater. Sounds like a lot of fender benders to me. Well, I can only imagine, because I know that stadiums do have the capability, like a lot of them have parking decks underneath because that's where the players park and stuff like that. So I don't know what type of access that they have to renovate to get cars out on the field but it's probably going to be like one or two like tunnels like lanes That's of traffic so i don't know about fender benders but it's definitely going to be like one of those things where the movie's over and you're like going to be sitting in your car waiting for 20 minutes to get back out just like every other drive-in movie in the world oh still of course exists. yep it's like a half hour process to just like wait and start your car and then when you start your car it's another half hour to leave you gotta be one of those uh one of those families where the dad's like looking at the time of the movie and everything. That's like, you know, when there's 10 minutes left, he's like, okay, this is how the movie ends. We're leaving. <laughs> We're getting out first. Uh -huh. but, but yeah, Miami bringing the drive-in theater into the hard rock stadium. Kalen on the flip side, we've had a lot of positives to talk about so far today. What's a negative. What's your loser this week? Uh, my loser this week is Lance Armstrong. And Obviously, he was a loser before today, but he is a loser this week because his two-part 30 for 30 has been released on ESPN. And what is everyone asking him about? Oh, I don't know. Just all the drugs he did to win his cycling events and, you know, the Tour de France. I don't even remember how many times, but... I feel oh, really I bad for him. 
to be honest. That's what I'm saying. I feel awful for him. He really doesn't feel awful for himself in watching the clips that I watch for the 30 for 30. Like he is not apologetic in any way, shape or form. He's like, yeah, well, everyone was doping and cycling. Yeah. And he's not wrong. Every, everyone was doping and cycling. And I mean, he was just the best with the doping and probably without the doping. Yeah. If you want to give a, if you want to give a tour de France victory to someone who didn't dope, you'd have to go down to like 25th place or something like that. In your no, average yeah. sort of, because yeah, and like the the doping thing too, like is also a weird gray area because it's not even like you're necessarily taking steroids, but like you're cheating how your blood oxygen system works I mean, by he was by harvesting blood and and then reusing it in your body, and it's it's weird. Well, Dan, no, that's that's like what you're talking about is like the current doping of cycling that that it has evolved so they were doing oh i i'm that. sorry i'm not up on my my cycling history yeah so like i'm not i'm not an expert look i'm not 100 percent an expert on it but like i i've watched enough content on it you know because i actually like really liked lance armstrong and then it came out with all this doping scandals and stuff and i was like all right screw this guy um so a lot of what Lance Armstrong was doing was he was taking growth hormones. He was actually, in fact, taking a type of a steroid at one point. A lot of what he was doing was what you were saying, Dan, is like stuff to help oxygenate your blood faster. Yeah, the, the blood doping. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The it, it, He wasn't doing ex, like exactly blood doping, but he was taking things to uh, assist his body in oxygenating quicker. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't like you know, pumping yourself with more extra oxygen rich blood, which is what those guys are pretty much doing nowadays. It was, it was a way of making his body do it, you know, organically faster, which was a banned substance, you know, in the cycling world for obvious reasons. Yeah. He, he was doing a lot of different things early on, pretty much in the same era as the roid era of baseball is the main roid era, quote unquote, PED era of cycling. And then you evolve into after that, blood doping wasn't technically illegal. Taking a substance in order to do it was illegal, but then organically doing it, like putting blood into your body, was not illegal at the time after that. And that was what a lot of guys were doing immediately following this whole era, PED era of cycling. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent, but anyway. Yeah, you're going off on a huge tangent. Lance, but- Lance, Lance Armstrong, my loser for the week because the man doesn't care and honestly he's he's being thrown back into the dirt and it just feels bad Mm -hmm. so with my tangent over dan who are you looking at as a loser for this week the losers for me this week are the top earning mlb contracts for active players right now so that would be the likes of well mike trout tops the list at 37 million dollars plus Garrett Cole at 36, Matt Scherzer, Zach Granke, Strasburg, Arenado, Verlander, Machado, Price, Kershaw, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, they are my losers this week because, again, I mentioned this in weeks prior, the MLB and the MLBPA need to come to an agreement, which includes a lot of things, including how the salary situation is going to work for these players with a shortened season, with a season played without fans and how that affects the revenue of everything. And apparently there has been a proposal from major league baseball to the players association, basically saying that they are going to have some type of pay cut system 
And that pay cut system could unproportionately affect the higher earners more than the lower earners in professional baseball. So oh, that, so you mean like something that they should do for the American economy? Ah, <laughs> politics. We're staying away from that. But ah, but yeah, yes, cool. yes, that's that's exactly what they're talking about. But it it looks like there could be potentially uh, for the for the highest earners in Major League Baseball, they could receive less than forty percent of their full season salaries. Mike Trout, the highest paid player in baseball, currently paid uh, this season. 37 and two thirds of a million dollars. That could be somewhere in the like 16 to 17 million dollar range, approximately. I didn't quite do the math ahead of this, but say it does end up being 40%, that's 15 million dollars. And they're saying that it could be potentially even less. Um, the nice thing is that for some of the players that aren't these huge all stars with massive contracts, they're not going to get hit as bad. So it's not going to affect them as much compared to some of these guys who have already made millions upon millions of dollars. Right. But, you know, this proposal obviously has not been uh, very popular among the Players Association. And they're they're kind of pushing back on it. But, you know, if, if this is going to be the way forward that the MLB is going to require in order to make themselves profitable for what could be a, a shortened season or a half season or something like that, then, you know, that's going to make uh, all these top players losers this week. Yeah, and I mean, it's hard for me to sit here and, you know, someone who's supposed to make $37 million a year and be like, yeah, that's unfortunate, pal, but I mean, he is losing millions of dollars. So, you know, it, it's what they're supposed to get paid. They do their job for a short period of time for their life. Sure, they probably get paid a little too much, but hey, that's because we all love what they do and we all go to those games. We all pay those tickets, so... Yep. They deserve it. I go to see if I was going to an Angels game, I'd only be going to see Mike Trout mm -hmm. or Otani. Yeah, the the money situation with a shortened season is going to affect a lot of people. And baseball, since they have their entire season, they got to figure out it's not like they're partway through. Um, you know, it's going to be uh, it's going to be ugly. Like I said, going to be an ugly one. Yeah. And unfortunately, they might just have to suck it up. So the Seattle Mariners have kind of resurfaced a little bit, at least among baseball YouTube. Baseball Twitter might be getting a little backlash of that. We're going to have to check in with uh, with Ian here in a second. But the reason that I want to talk about the Mariners today, Kalen, is that I saw this infographic recently following up uh, watching the John Boys and Alex Rubenstein six-part History of the Mariners series that okay. SB Nation put out. And this infographic shows that even when Seattle tries to play the game the way it's, quote, supposed to be played, they're still so unsuccessful at it. So to talk about this, I, I alluded to him earlier. We're bringing in our baseball expert, Ian Roth. Ian, welcome back. Thank you for having me. I love being on this podcast. I feel like I'm, I'm retired now, which is <laughs> something bad to say when you're 23 years old, but like... I, I'm living for this podcast. I watch Ken Burns documentaries. I'm playing golf. This is it's, I'm just living a good life right now. <laughs> yeah. I kind of alluded to the question earlier. Is baseball Twitter obsessing about the Seattle Mariners right now? Or is it a, as much of an obsession about the Mariners as they would typically at any other point? Listen, baseball Twitter and the Mariners, it's always sort of like there. There is no spike or dip in Mariners love or hate. The Mariners are like, 
the redheaded stepchild of baseball. Like they're always just there and they're always within the conversation. And it's just sort of weird because they have this weird presence on, on Twitter. When you, when you think about it, even as this documentary series has come out on SB nation, they still just kind of been like, wow, the Mariners are still bad. And like, that's their <laughs> rep on Twitter. Like, it, doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what you tell me about the Mariners. They're still bad. Yeah. So this infographic that I looked at highlighted two particular things within the sport of baseball. So I want to kind of go over with you some of the fundamental ideas that baseball players and baseball teams should try to strive for when playing the game. I'm not saying mm-hmm. this is the correct way to play. There's a lot of different ways to play, some of them more correct than others. Let's start with pitching. When it comes to pitching, what's the what would you say is the number one objective that pitchers should try to do? Throw strikes. All right. And when it comes, that, uh, uh, yeah. at least for from a fundamental standpoint, yeah. throw strikes. Get the ball over the plate first and foremost. Yeah, of course, <laughs> that makes sense. And that's what you tell your nine year old as soon as he steps on the mound. Just throw but strikes. It, but it's true. It's, it's, it's true. true. It's true. No, no, that's that's exactly what that's exactly what I was I was referencing. And when it comes to batting, Ian, isn't there also kind of the general consensus that you want to try to be a patient batter? You don't want to be yeah. swinging at everything. Yeah, you want to get a good pitch to hit. You don't want to be the guy that goes up there and swings the first pitch every time. Exactly. So the reason I bring those two fundamentals up, those two key core baseball components, is that the Seattle Mariners were the most patient batters and the most aggressive strike-throwing pitchers in all of Major League Baseball last year. Which means, theoretically, if everything was based on those core central metrics— that the Seattle Mariners would probably have a decent team. Of course, yeah. of course that didn't yeah, happen. I'm not going to disagree <laughs> with you. Yeah, uh, obviously we know what happens at the end of this movie, but yes. yeah, I guess you could say that. The actual result, the 2019 Seattle Mariners, 68 wins, 94 losses, last place in the AL West. But this team was as patient as all hell and was aggressive as all hell in those respective parts more than any other team in Major League Baseball. For example, in pitches taken per at-bat, or excuse me, per plate appearance, rather, the Seattle Mariners had over 4.1 pitches taken for every Mm -hmm. plate appearance. Next closest team was the Yankees with a 4.06 approximately. I think the Phillies are on that list, aren't they? Uh, they're up there a little bit. They're they're just a, sh- a shade under four pitches taken per plate appearance. Because that was one of the philosophies that they tried to subscribe to there under Kapler was like, okay, we're going to get up here and just we're just going to take as much as we can and wait till we get a good pitch hit. I know uh, Reese Hoskins uses that method really well. Yeah, but the, the but anyway, continue, Dan. I'm but, sorry. No, yeah, no, 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 side <laughs> no, no, trust me. You're we bring you for the side tangents. The difference between Seattle and New York, the second most patient hitting team is the same gap between New York and a team like Oakland, which is eight or nine teams down the list. Dan, let's be real here. The gap between Seattle and New York is that they have Glaber Torres hitting seventh and Seattle has Malik Smith hitting seventh. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) that's the difference here. Like, listen, when it comes to the Mariners, it's the fact that they, they just, first of all, they're a low budget franchise. Of course. Like they, they don't, have the income that is necessary to compete especially in the al west you know mm-hmm. you're not going to compete with a the houston astros who 
were cheating, but also have a massive payroll. So even if they weren't cheating, they probably still would have been in the American League Championship Series. You're not going to compete with Oakland because Oakland's been doing Moneyball better than anybody else and longer than anybody else, right? So now you come to the Mariners, who's pretty much starting lineup last year was Nervaez, Nola, D. Gordon, Crawford, Seager, uh, Santana, Smith, and Hanniger. And it's like, oh, like, what are we supposed to do with that eight? And then you got Daniel Vogelbach, who is probably the worst hitter sans Reese Hoskins on the face of the planet. <laughs> so it's like, what, like, what do you do if you're the Mariners? Right? Like, wh- like yeah. what do you do? I, I, like, I don't know. The difference between the Yankees doesn't lie in how many pitches they take per plate appearance. It's the fact that the Yankees are just exponentially more talented than the Mariners are. And that's that's the long and short of it. But numbers can be deceiving. So we, they we, did, can. we did talk about, you know, the how fundamentally they're doing what they're supposed to do. But clearly they're not getting the results that we want out of this they, Mariners they, squad. Nobody in Seattle is yeah. happy with the Mariners. <laughs> and, and part of that is maybe that they're playing these fundamentals a little too much because now, again, they, they've taken the most pitches per plate appearance of any team in Major League Baseball. But at the same time, they have had the highest amount of strikeouts looking. And yeah. on, on the flip yeah. side, they are one of the more aggressive teams throwing the uh, – just throwing strikes pretty much immediately, and because of that, mm-hmm. have a actually a uh, uh, a pitches thrown per plate appearance that is the lowest in the league. But at the same time, the reason that you throw strikes is you want to try to get people to swing and miss and get them yeah. out. And for the Seattle squad, they are the worst for striking out batters with a swing and miss, with only nine hundred in the twenty nineteen season. In comparison, the Houston Astros had thirteen hundred. To me, this just sounds like the Mariners are doing two really good fundamental sound baseball tactics, and they're doing them too well. Like, there is a fine line in the sand for taking pitches. Like, growing up as a kid, before I switched over to playing lacrosse, I played baseball a lot. And, like, they'd always tell you, like, take pitches, but you need to know when to swing. Like, you need to know when you're seeing that pitch. Like, you can't just go up there and take, 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 and take all the time. Like, you need to know when that pitch is going to be a strike. I had to be really good at that because I was tall. I was like, I was always like one of the tallest kids in my class. And like when you're in baseball in third grade, when people started to uh, kids started to throw, like you got off coach pitch and stuff. You're like Mm -hmm. 10 or whatever. Nobody could throw the ball to me. So I was the king of just standing there and taking pitches because like I got four pitch walked more than probably anybody else. So like my first instinct was take, but yeah, I, I would. I'd be really good on the Seattle Mariners, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I'd be great. Well, it sounds like their philosophy is just stand there and look at the it, ball. So it's funny because when you look at it on paper, like we're doing, the philosophy behind take pitches is at some point you're going to see a pitch that you're going to hit. Right. right. So if you take, you know, four pitches per at bat, and you have, you know, four at bats a game, you just saw 16 pitches. Chances are two of those were pretty good. But the problem is with that theory is that you can't just take on principle. You have to take looking for your pitch. Like there's a difference between standing there and standing there waiting for your pitch. You have to have a plan when you go to the plate. I think I've said it on this this show before, and it actually wraps in nicely to what we were talking about the last time I was on was Manny Ramirez. 
Manny Ramirez would strike out looking down the middle all the time, and it would drive people in Boston insane. But the problem was, was Manny had a plan. Like, Manny went up there, and he looked for one pitch. And if he didn't get it, he didn't swing. And Manny's one of the best right-handed hitters of all time. He probably is up there on the all-time list of pitches taken per at-bat, but he went up there with a plan. Like, he took pitches with a purpose. The Mariners are taking pitches for the sake of saying, oh, we took pitches and we saw a lot of pitches. Yeah, they took it too far. Like, their batters don't go up there and they're like, all right, I'm going to wait for that fastball high in the you know high in the strike zone you know as for as for the pitchers that interests me the pitchers because last year they had marco gonzalez had a pretty above average year was not an all-star but was a person that a lot of people were looking at at the trade deadline uh they had kikuchi who had a horrible year they had leak who's kind of a journeyman but is okay and then the aging felix hernandez yeah the the dying felix hernandez who up until coronavirus looked pretty good in spring training for the Braves, so that's got to stink <laughs> for the Mariners. <laughs> that's funny because their ballpark in Seattle obviously is under a blanket of cloud cover and rain and mist pretty much 25-8, right? They mm-hmm. play in one of not only the physically biggest ballparks in the American League, but also like scientifically, I guess you could say, one of the biggest ballparks in the American League because they play in Seattle. So these guys, Gonzalez, Kikuchi, Leak, and Hernandez, are like ground ball artists. Like these guys don't strike right. people out. And that interests me. Like they must not in Seattle, they have the right idea of pitching wise. They're like, oh, we're going to get ground ball guys, and that's going to help us out a lot. But the ground ball guys they got are Felix Hernandez, who's 100 years old, Mike Leak, who's been on 15 teams, and Kikuchi, who came over first year in Major League Baseball and had a horrible year. You know, like, Dan, it goes back to the point that you just made. The Mariners are doing a lot of – they're doing the right things. They're just not – they don't have the right players to do those things. Yeah, they would be obviously more successful if, as you alluded to before, they had you know multiple all-stars in their batting lineup and a ace pitcher who isn't 33 and way past his prime and, and gave his all to the city of Seattle as, as Felix Hernandez did. So And you know what? You're, like, you're right. If you have all-stars on your team, yeah, you're going to win games. But, like, look at the, the the athletic. They don't have all-stars, but they have guys that, like, they scouted out and they said, these guys know what they're doing. I don't know how good or bad the Mariner scouting system is. I would love to know. I can't imagine it's great. But, like, the other thing is the GM, DePoto, is, like, pretty much – the the real life equivalent of you and I, Dan, on MLB the show. Like if a player has a bad game, we're gonna trade them immediately, even if it's the middle of May. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ian, I was I can't believe <laughs> I can't believe Mike Trout just went over four in my MLB the show game. You're gone. <laughs> like <laughs> Well Ian See ya. Ian, I, I for a second I got I uh I was um I was prepared to completely lose it for a second because when you were talking about the athletics and you were talking about how, how they're finding guys and everything, I was really expecting you to say that they find guys that get on base, but uh, alas, well, ref- I mean, reference missed. True. <laughs> it's true, they do. It's they do find people that get on base. What Brad Pitt has given to the sport of baseball. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, does he even know? Does he even know what kind of impact he's had? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, we're off topic. We we are we're off topic. topic. We're talking but, about Depoto and the Mariners. Yes. What does Seattle need to do in order to get this squad to be winning if doing the fundamentals aren't working? Or at least not working to the level that you would hope they would. Play more aggressively, if you ask me. At least at the plate from a batting standpoint. 
I'd say yeah. I'd say I'd say try and take a little little bit fewer pitches and you know swing at something. Yeah, it's it, I Kalen definitely has a point. It it comes that like how many games did they lose last year? 93, 95 games. What did you say, Dan? Like 94. Know, what is that? 94 what? games. So, Kalen's right like at this point, you know, when we go back playing baseball this year in July or whatever it's going to be, it's going to be a case of okay, like Mariners probably not going to win, but like what do you have to lose? starting nine like like what do you what do you have to lose like let's just go out here and just lay it on the line every game. if you see a pitch that you can hit first first time up swing at it like yeah there is something to be said for going into a game with a game plan you know like let's take pitches let's throw strikes and then there's another thing to be said for teams like this that are losing 95 games saying we have nothing left to lose let's just put it all out on the field I think that's what the Mariners are lacking right now is like this this core of guys that just wants to go out there and play as hard as they can. And there's something in that as well. I'm not one for like if you listen to Philadelphia Sports Talk Radio, which is like a sin of sports. Oh God. <laughs> you will quickly subscribe to the fact that like everything rests on moral values and having the same nine guys go out in the lineup every day. Like to Philadelphia sports fans like that, those are the two most important things. In my opinion, those are not the two most important things. I want to play the best nine guys. I want to play the nine hottest guys I have right now. You know, that could be the same nine guys for 10 games in a row. But I'm not going to keep playing D Gordon if he's hitting 201 the last 10 games. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And it comes back to Jerry Depoto. He he switches up this 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 entire roster, not just like a couple of pieces, but like this entire roster does a refresh like every two years. You know what I'm saying? Like, so like even if you wanted to build an identity or a mantra of let's get this squad going and let's have a team that goes out there and plays as hard as they can for two years, they can't because Depoto is so trigger happy. He's switching the roster over. So like you have this base that is murky at best. So you can't build a a mantra or a motto and then you have bad talent and shaky fundamentals and suddenly you have 95 losses on these. Like, yes, it comes back to the players, but the whole organization needs to hunker down and say, let's stick with 25 guys for two seasons and see what happens. Yeah, that doesn't help. Like, it doesn't help your locker room chemistry or your team chemistry either because, like, you know, if you're constantly rotating out those pieces, like, you, you don't know what the other guys are thinking. Like if you're in the outfield and your outfield changed like three times in one season, and I'm not talking like, you know, oh, we took we took Shane Victorino out and put in yeah. you know, Aaron Rowan just for a day or whatever, um, just mm-hmm. to reference old Phillies greats. But like, no, that guy left for the season. Like, no, we traded Shane. Oh, no, we traded Pat Burrell. You know, like uh, we just got rid of him in the middle of the season. And then you brought in two new guys like – you need to, especially like outfield, like you need to know that that, that center fielder is going to make that catch. Yeah. And if that constantly is rotating, like you don't know that. So if you're in right field, you're like, well, I got to go field that ball in right center because I have no clue if this guy's going to be fast enough to catch that thing. I've played two games with him. Like, it, it, well, I, I there, feel like there is something to be said for chemistry in a, in a baseball team. Baseball is such a, a finicky sport. Chemistry can pl- can play a difference in whether you win or lose. Like again, if we go back to Manny Ramirez and the 04 Red Sox, that team had chemistry out the wazoo. Yeah, you know what like, I'm saying. And like that obviously helped them win. 
So like, if you have this, this organization that is just, you know, refresh, 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 how do you build that? Like, how, how do you, how do you say, these are my guys, let's go out there and play? Like, how do you do that? Yeah, you need, I think they need to do a refresh and they need to find the guys that they want to stick with and just end it. Cause the constant rotating of every single person, every single resource is just, it, it kills organizations. It kills franchises. Yeah. And you In know all what, sports, Dan? Mm-hmm. All sports. Back to your main point. What do the Mariners need to do to get better? And to link Kalen's point, they are on they are on a track, whether they realize it or not, to put themselves in a position to be that team. They have Kikuchi, who who had a bad year last year, but I really don't think is a bad pitcher. Like I really like Yusei Kikuchi. I like Marco Gonzalez. Right? They have mm-hmm. Justice Sheffield coming up, that hard throwing lefty from the Yankees that they got. He's going to be good. They got um, Jared Kelnick or what? I think it's Kelnick who's a batter they got for Cano and Diaz, who was like the number one prospect in the Mets system. He's going to be really good. They have some pieces in their lineup from last year. J.P. Crawford is a great fielding shortstop. He's not the best hitter, but who knows? He might be, still turn into something. Mitch Haniger, who snapped his leg in half this season, isn't is going to play. He's a good player. You know, there are pieces here that you can build around. Whether they stick with those pieces and say, you are our guys, is another question. Funny enough, we talked about the SB Nation documentary way back at the beginning of this discussion here. It kind of harkens back to what the SB Nation documentary was talking about in terms of them having issues with player retention. When you look at, you know, obviously you had Junior leave, you had Randy Johnson leave, you had... A Rod leave, so you you like you had a, a series of guys that they just couldn't retain. So now, you know, over the course of a couple of decades, you look at the squad and you're like, how many people actually stuck around? You're, you're looking at yeah. it, basically just Felix, and Felix, arguably out of all those people, had the most stunted career trajectory because of it. You know what? The when you look when people look back at the Mariner between '01 and now. The first name that's going to come up is Hernandez. Mm -hmm. And people are going to say, damn, this guy was the best pitcher in baseball next to Clayton Kershaw for probably four or five years. And the Mariners did almost nothing. They did nothing. You know, like you wasted, I'm not going to say a generational arm because I don't think Felix Hernandez is a generational arm, but you wasted a top pitcher or pitcher of that era for nothing. Like yeah. you guys didn't come close once. Zero playoff appearances, I, right? I can't remember. I can't even remember a time that they've come close. You know, like Kayla, I, I know you haven't watched baseball religiously in the last 15 years, you know, like, like I have, which has wasted my life away too. But like, <laughs> I can't remember a time when the Mariners were like, Oh, Mariners playoff on it. Like those two things don't go in the same. No, like, like you really don't put the those words in the same sentence ever. You really it's, don't. You know, it's it, been, it, it, and that's mm-hmm. been our entire lifetime. That's literally just our entire existence has been. Yeah, the Mariners have Felix Hernandez and are bad, <laughs> and that's it. Yeah, other than Ichiro and and Felix, like that's right. Each yeah, Ichiro and Felix, and honestly. When you say the Mariners, still to me, the first name that I think of is Ichiro. I don't even think of Felix. I'm just no, like, like, oh, yeah, Ichiro was the, was a Mariner. That's who, cool. Who's still technically on the roster. 
He had six plate yeah, appearances she... last season. He oh, is still God. on the roster. At the age of 45. He retired. He, he did retire, but he he's like on like a... Like a manager-player thing. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Okay. I don't know the details of that contract, but like he's yeah. like... But, he's on the... I don't know what he's doing. Yeah, actually. but it's 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 been all downhill since 2001, basically. They they broke the record for wins in a season, and then they they just kind of wasted it away from there, pretty much. It's sad, honestly. It's sad because they had something going, you know, and obviously the success of 2001 and 2002 and 03 to a point wasn't going to last, but like you had pieces there that were like, okay, like we can still do something. And they just never, ever did. And you know what, when you're in that position that they are in now where you are bad and you don't have a lot of money, it is the hardest situation, not, It's the hardest situation for a general manager in sports because you have to manage, first of all, like we said, keeping a decent nine out there. You have to manage the rotation of the roster. Like people are going to run out of options. You're going to have a guy in the major leagues and he's going to be hitting a buck 50 and you're going to be like, we got to send this guy down, you know, and you only have so many options and then that piles on. And then suddenly you have like this, this absolute maze, like a always sunny in Philadelphia looking board, uh, roster options and people we can pick up on free agency and waiver wire stuff. That's where they're at right now. Like they don't even have a way out. Like it, it looks really bad. Harken back to the, the Pirates way of doing it. Just hope one of your prospects is an all-star, trade them off for a whole bunch of crap and just keep it churning. Yeah, just trade off Josh Bell. Yeah, I'm, it's just like. I, I'm, uh, wait, I'm waiting for the day because you know it's going to happen. Oh, he, yeah. He's probably going to be sent to the Rays and explode into, I don't know, the next David Ortiz or something. I don't even know. Either way, Ian, thank you for coming on. Thank you for talking about the Mariners and how even if they're playing things fundamentally the way we want, they still need to keep building for this team. The Mariners will not be good in the next five years. They won't. That's that's a fact. Well, what's what's our what's our definition of good? I want to I want to take up your offer on this. If, are we are we betting something on this, or is I this just, just is this just a prophecy? If the Mariners go, okay, here here here's here's what I'll say. If the Mariners have one season in the next five years, ten games over five hundred, I'll be surprised. All right, I'll be I'll be surprised if they go ten games over five hundred once within the next five years. Can we call you back on the show to? To rub it in your face if they manage to do that. Dan, I hope you do. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, thanks for coming. I know you're incredibly busy. I know that, you know, baseball isn't the only hustle you got going on and everything. You got the, the talking with my Hans. Uh, I got to do a video Star today, Wars actually. stuff. Oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to do an unboxing video today, I think. Ooh, so well, that, hey. that, that is exciting. The great Ian Roth, baseball extraordinaire, Star Wars fanatic and friend of the show here on the pregame. Thanks for having me on, guys. Kalen, I have another great NFL topic that was initially shouted about by the great Pat McAfee, of all people. Oh, I mean, if someone's going to shout about something in the NFL, it's going to be Pat McAfee. It's, it's going to be Pat McAfee. That man is crazy. But what it is, is it is a new rule proposed to the NFL rulebook that is a variation on previously proposed rules that have been rejected over the years. 
So it is an alternative to the onside kick. Aha. Uh-huh. Ironically, of all teams, this latest iteration of the onside kick alternative was proposed by the Philadelphia Eagles, because any team's allowed to propose any rule change. And basically mm-hmm. what it would do is it would allow a team to, instead of onside kicking, which is basically impossible now with some of the safety changes they made to the kickoff, uh, what it would be now is it that each team would have two opportunities per game to have this alternative onside kick, which would be a fourth and 15 attempted from the team's own 25-yard line. So what would happen is instead of kicking it off, you'd get the ball on your own 25, and you'd have a fourth and 15, so essentially one play to get 15 yards to retain possession of the ball. I kind of like that. Now, it, it runs just like any other play. So if there's a defensive penalty that's an automatic first down, offense keeps the ball. It's a first down. If there's an offensive penalty that pushes it back five yards and replays the down, well, then you're on a fourth and 20 or a fourth and 25 or whatever it would be for the right. for the particular penalty. The other thing that is different about this rule compared to previous versions that have been shot down is that in previous versions, the alternative could only be used when the team was trailing. Now, not anymore. You could run this play whether you're up, tied, trailing, doesn't matter. So, theoretically, and the reason people are kind of like interested about this is the rule was proposed, you know, and some news outlets talked about it a little bit, kind of threw things out there about it. But what really kind of stirred the pot a little bit is that initially this rule didn't have the two times a game clause. Okay. And it was so it ni- could be like, you could just do it after every possession then. Yes. And Ooh. Patrick Mahomes responded to one of these tweets with a whole bunch of like wide eye emojis. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh no, the Chiefs are just going to score. Go for Endlessly. it. Score. Go for it. Score. And then they're just going to be like, well, we're up 21 nothing, and our opponents haven't even touched the ball. Let's just run away with this one, you know? It has been since pulled back a little bit. But, Kalen, what do you think about this rule? What do you what do you think about the idea of this being just a general alternative? Do you think there's a lot of tactical and strategic thought that could be put into this about when you use these? Because, of course, you have to save one for the end of the game because who knows what happens. Yeah. That was agreed upon by everyone. That was brought up on the Pat McAfee show. That was brought up everywhere. But the second one, do you use it early to try to get a tempo advantage? Do you try to throw it in randomly to try to catch opponents off guard? Do you use it a little later in the game when you think you figured out the opposing defense and their coverage? Yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack with this proposed alternative. For instance, like what you said, Dan, I mean, do you use it for tempo? Do you use it to catch the other team off guard? Do you use it? Do you use it when you're down just to try and get another quick score? Do you risk it when you're down? Because then what happens if there's a pick six? What happens if you fumble? What happens like if you just so don't many... convert? Yeah, if you just Simple straight as that. Up don't convert and then they have a free touchdown at your 25. There's a lot of risk involved with this play. I like it, but I think honestly, I like it. And I think it's something that wouldn't get used as often as what we think it would get used. I think offenses with really good quarterbacks. And I think it's funny that you bring up the Eagles because I think. Um, well, the Eagles proposing it um, because Doug Peterson is that guy who's like, yeah, fourth and 15, Carson Wentz. All right. No big deal, especially in his MV, the season that he should have and would have won the MVP when he ripped his leg in half. That 
that season is the first season as an Eagles fan when I saw us line up for third and 15, third and 20, third and 25. I went, eh, yeah, we'll get it. And we got it on a consistent basis. Well, yeah, and you got to remember, you got to remember, this is also the same team that, well, I'm not going to say won a Super Bowl off of the Philly Philly, but greatly increased their chances of winning due to just the, I don't know, uh, the, the the gusto that that play gave them. So, I, I mean, the I would... The Philly special? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah cl- the classic Philly Philly, okay? The Philly special, whatever you... Whatever, okay? Let's let's get away from the, the one time you guys lucked out and figured out a Super Bowl. No, uh, like, whoa, 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 whoa. Look. <laughs> look, Cowboys fan. I'm referencing that because... Teams with a quarterback of that caliber and of that talent, for instance, the Chiefs with Pat Mahomes, uh, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, uh, just to name two, those are the teams that will be able to use this play strategically. Teams like the Bills or, heck, I'll even say Brady and the Bucks. I can't say that. Brady has deep threats now. I can't say the Bucks, but I'll go back to Brady's old team as a better example. The New England Patriots this coming season. The Patriots and Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick will use it strategically, but he won't use it the way I think we think we uh, he will use it. And I don't think he would use it the way that the Eagles would use it, for instance. I, Not for the explanation. Yeah. If I can. Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs, they'll use it for aggression. They'll use it, I would think, as a tempo, like we mentioned. The Patriots and Bill Belichick and arguably the Buffalo Bills, those types of teams, I think, would use it to get back in the game as you would an onside kick. Well, of course, I don't think they would use it to get ahead. I I don't I just don't think that would be the purpose of the game. Granted, they'll win games and stuff and they might find a place to use it to get ahead. But I think their main purpose of doing it would be to catch up and it would be, you know, the risk worth taking. I get what you're saying. I mean, it will be interesting to see again if this rule passes it's being voted on tomorrow and has to be approved by 24 of the 32 teams it would be interesting to see how people start to use it right off the bat and how its use evolves throughout the course of uh throughout the course of everything yeah. so i think my only criticism of it is two times i i think you should only get one only one well then no one's going to use it because they're going to save it in case things go south and they're going to save it for exactly. the end of the game Exactly. I mean, well, that takes a lot of the excitement out of it. I'm actually no, I'm not in favor of that. I think I'm in favor of it because it adds a new it, it still is exciting and it adds a new element to the end of the game. To be honest with you, Dan, I really think we would only ever see one of them get used in a football game regardless. I think that it's definitely a way more exciting play than an onside kick. Oh, for sure. From an entertainment perspective, I think that there's probably a greater success rate. The current success rate for onside kicks over the past two seasons has been 10%. Oh, this so, would be at least, I think this would be about like 25. Yeah, it's it's definitely oh, not a gimme. It's nowhere close to a gimme. No. But no. you can definitely design plays around the fact that these scenarios are going to be like set. It's not like, oh, what type of long yardage play is going to work for this situation. You can sit down and write two or three plays that would be designed specifically for a fourth and 15 oh yeah designed yeah, specifically is, to get you 15 yards this is definitely something that uh the great minds of football can craft specifically for the situation and you know they'll have they'll have like their second playbook of like six or seven plays that are just like yep this is what we use these for it'll be interesting to see 
if because obviously passing is going to be the main way that teams go after converting these fourth and fifth teams. Right. But I mean, are there any teams you think that can put something together where they can actually get a runoff and have an actual running back make the 15 yards? Or do you think it's just going to be too difficult to do that? I think that depends on matchups. Well, of course, like if Zeke is like shredding the I don't know, is if Zeke is shredding the Bengals defensive line like he's just going up the middle all day for five to 15 yards per carry yeah you might think about running it up the middle or baiting him into into the pass and then you know zeke has enough room to run and gets that first down like i definitely could see people running on this i think it would be a lot less frequent though yeah i agree it would be interesting to see if uh, a running play or something like that could work maybe a screen play potentially a little wide receiver screen yeah, I could see like a wide receiver screen working. I could see yeah. like a There's definitely different ways to attack this than just okay, we're going to have our our deep threat guys do some some post route type thing and maybe we might have some guy on a check down slant out of the slot and Yeah. It need be if everyone's covered downfield then he should be able to like get the ball, turn and then maybe get 5, 10 yards and and get it. I mean, unless you're the Bucks in which case that situation is just like, hey, Tom, throw to uh, Evans out, out wide and call it a day. Well, no, it's just Evans and Godwin run down the field as fast as you can, and then everyone's going to do that. And then you're going to dump the ball to Gronkowski, and then he's going to turn and just kind of carry 12 players all the way <laughs> to, the, to the end zone. They're going to be throwing people off the bench at him. He's just going to hulk his way across. Yeah, and the, <laughs> the, uh-huh. the fact that he's taking years off and he's going to probably come back and be just the same Gronk that we know him as is ridiculous, but. I think he might even be better just because he'll his his ligaments and his bones have now had time to rest and recoup. Yeah, I, I guess that would be true. This rule, again, is not in place yet, but it potentially could be. The vote again is tomorrow, so we will see if 24 of the 32 owners will approve this rule. So we'll see. I don't know. I'm in favor of it. I would like to see it. I think it would be interesting. I think it could add a lot of uh, intensity to the game. I like the idea of when teams decide to use it, how they decide to go at it. Uh, there's there's a lot of uh, interesting situations that can be brought up here. I like it. Yeah. No, I think it's way better than an onside kick. I think they should do it. Yeah. And for anyone who's wondering what this could look like, well, they did try it before at the NFL Pro Bowl last year. And, well, <laughs> the result of that one attempt was Kurt Cousins throwing an interception to Earl Thomas. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Not necessarily a gimme. That's that's that is for sure. Now for another obscure sport here on the pregame podcast, and it is one that Kaylin, you can participate in, but I can't participate in. Well, technically I can, but it's not in the spirit for me to participate. All right, now I'm confused. What what on earth is this? It is a sport that originated in Finland, based around a 19th century legend uh, known as. Ronkinen the Robber, hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, Finnish people, but it is the sport of wife carrying. The sport of wife carrying. Now yes. that is interesting. Yes. So what it is, is a sport originating in Finland. The first modern day wife carrying event was held in 1992, and they started allowing foreign contestants to come and uh, join the games in 1995. Basically, it, it kind of caught on in, in neighboring countries like Estonia and, and Sweden and such. But what it is, is it's a 
think of it like an Iron Man course, like an Iron Man obstacle course. Right. That you have to do, but you have to be carrying your wife the entire time. Oh my god. Yes. This is this is amazing. It has since spread to North America. There's a North American Championship Series that started in 1999, but Finland still has the the World Games or the World Championships rather. But it did come to the U.S. in the late 90s in Maine, and uh, since then, <laughs> it has only grown in popularity. So, there are some rules and regulations to this. So, again, oh, there like I, are. Yes. I, so, okay, I'm, I'm intrigued to hear what these are, because I don't know how you make rules around this. Of course. So, let's first talk about the course. The course is 254 meters long, or 278 yards so a, a little less than three football fields. But at least in North America, the courses are typically run on uneven ground with elevation changes. Um, although the World Games in Finland are on a flat track. But the course is designed to include at least two dry obstacles and one water obstacle. Although it does vary by event and year and all that good stuff. So that would be, you know, potentially hills or um, hurdles you have to climb over. It could be small shallow lakes or crossings you have to plow through um in the water and as the name implies the entire thing has to be carrying your wife now it does say teammates are not legally required to be married but i feel like in a in a sport called wife carrying yeah you probably should just carry your wife i feel you like know? yeah you should you should do that shouldn't um, carry your sister that could be a little weird yeah there's no requirement for equipment, although the World Games do require a helmet for the carried person. But beyond that, the only special equipment that's allowed to be worn is the carrier is allowed to have a belt, um, which is totally optional. And that there is, not for the North American Games, but for the World Games in Finland, there is a minimum weight that your female competitor or wife or whoever you're carrying has to be. And that is at least 108 pounds. And if they are less, then there are um, weights added to the person, so they meet the minimum weight requirement. So, Kaylin, what are your initial thoughts on this? Pretty wild. I'm, I'm pretty wild. I'm assuming you've done the classic thing you do during this segment and have since Googled wife carrying and have seen some videos <laughs> yeah. of this. <laughs> I have. Of course <laughs> I have. It's pretty neat. I'm seeing a few different techniques being utilized. Um, there are some... This, this dude's massive. This dude's actually like... He looks like he's a yeah. big time bodybuilder in this well, pick, but this well, dude is like holding his wife's legs while she holds around his stomach or it could be his girlfriend. I don't know. Um, there's another technique that I just saw on like the wife website. And this seems to be the popular one where she has like, like your, her legs are wrapped around your neck. Right. Mm -hmm. And she crosses her feet mm -hmm. facing downwards, like, like, her stomach is on your back basically mm -hmm. and then reaches forward and whole crosses their arms and puts it in like the crook of their knees so they're like a giant like knot almost wrapped around you and then they just hang on while like the guy runs yeah so that seems to be the most effective one at least yeah well that is the most popular there are only three different ways of carrying your wife that are legal in this Oh, really? Okay, well, yes. you did not express this well, in the I, I rules. Was, I was getting to it, and you transitioned ah. it perfectly. So, the one that you described where the wife, if you will, I'm, I'm just going to call him the wife. Even just call it wife. Yeah. Just go with the yes. wife, I mean. So, the the wife has her her legs, you know, wrapped around the, the guy's, like, neck and shoulders, 
and then as you said her stomach is is pressed against the uh the husband's back and you know in most cases is reaching around and either holding the waist or holding her own legs um to you know basically stay on the husband during the competition so that is known as the Estonian carry okay i guess it was developed by uh, some estonians when they started running the sport i was going to say yeah that there, would make sense. It does. There are two other ways that are legal to carry your wife, and that would be as a fireman's carry or as a piggyback. Ah. All, all other ways of carrying your wife are not legal. Gotcha. So you have to you have to choose which one's the best. Obviously, looking at some of the photos and all that stuff with some of the champions, the Estonian carry does seem to be the consensus pick for that the best way. That seemed to be the boy, I'm not going to lie. Which is very important because if you do drop your wife, you are penalized five seconds to your time. God, uh, these guys are like... Sorry, I just pulled up a, a quick small video like preview, and this guy's like full send dead sprinting with his wife on his shoulders. <laughs> like, yeah. She's just hanging on by her legs. Mm-hmm. Holy heck. This is extreme. Yeah. So, Kalen... What are your this thoughts about wild. this? Is this something? This is, I don't know. This is something out of left field, man. This is this is wild. I mean, I personally don't know if I would compete in this, uh, as I am a scrawny man. Um, yeah, you need you need some more bulk to you. I, I was bulking up at the gym, and then COVID happened, so I got to get back on that track first. But um, and that's that. Don't take this the wrong way, folks. This is not me saying my wife is overweight. My wife is in very good shape and is very healthy and is very fit. However, she is very fit. Yeah, she she is also five nine. She's not small. She and has muscle like she's she is not small. <laughs> like it's not like I picked up a four foot nothing chick off the street, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, not but, to dwell on that topic. Um, <laughs> yeah. But is this something that you think you and your wife would would partake in? I think we would be willing to give it a go if we were back in shape. That's for sure. Yeah, once you once you shake off the the, the COVID, uh, uh, oh, what's a good what's a good phrase for that? The, the COVID calories, let's say. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. The COVID calories. Yeah, once we shake those off, I think we would be uh, we'd be in competing shape to actually yes. give right. I honestly, I've always wanted to do like one of those Spartan runs and things like that too. I've never done one, but this reminds me, like you said earlier, this is pretty much like a Spartan run just with your wife or significant other on your shoulders. It's pretty wild. It is yeah. pretty wild. Well, if you want to partake in the North American Championships, they uh, apparently happen at the Sunday River Resort, which is in Maine. It's open to uh, you know anyone in, in North America, but typically it's just American and Canadian entries. But uh, we could enter. We could do it. We? Where's well, this we coming Well, I mean, from? like, we can enter individually. I'm not saying, like, listen, I, I'm not carrying I'm not you, and I know you're not carrying me. Oh, so. there ain't no way I'm carrying you, pal. <laughs> I'm going to be squished in five seconds. <laughs> I'm like a stick. I'd put you on my shoulders, and I'd just crack at the waist. Be like, my rib cage would stick out. Just like... <laughs> <laughs> my spine would be broken, probably. So Something terrible would happen. Only terrible would happen. Okay, geez, cool it. Calm down, okay? <laughs> I'm just saying. I know my fate in that situation. Yeah. But, again, another sport where you just... 
you, you just don't realize that these things are real until you, you take a look at them, pretty much. This is another sport where someone really bored in the 1900s was like, you know what, I'm going to carry my wife. And then his neighbor was like, why don't we race while carrying our wives? Why They, they were like, let's do this again next year. And well, they marked their 1910 like little calendar, and then they came back next year, and they were like, "Let's add an obstacle." And they put like I don't know a saw, a seahorse, like, no, not a seahorse, like a like a seesaw in there or something. They had to walk up it and then down it or something. Yeah, well, just evolved. Well, as as I mentioned earlier, it was based around a 19th century legend of uh, Ronkinen the robber, but it's actually disputed exactly how it came into existence. So there there's three different schools of thought. So the Ronkin and the robber myth is obviously one. Well, it seems to be the most popular. It's all based around that same myth, but it's it's different variations on it. So the so the story behind Ronkin and the robber is that he was a a Viking raider that raided, you know, Finnish towns. Okay. So the first thought is that Ronkin and his thieves were accused of stealing food and women from the villages in the area and carried these women on their backs as they ran away. So that's the first thought of how this sport came to be. Second, it's been said that men would go to villages near their own to steal other men's wives and carry them back to become their own wives, mm-hmm. like a capture the flag style wife situation. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you just capture the flag wife. <laughs> just I gotta go get the wife in the blue robe. I gotta go get the wife in the red robe. Bring it back to my base. Yeah. But and then and then the third story is that Ronkinen trained his thieves by carrying big heavy sacks on their back, which eventually evolved into a sport, and that eventually those heavy sacks then became their wives. So those are the the three different schools of thought that are all based around the the nineteenth century legend of Ronkinen the robber. So interesting. Yes, those are the the potential origin stories of wife carrying. Um, as a as a sport, I don't know which one you subscribe to, but probably option three since that's where that is where my brain went. Uh, in the yeah. first place, it's oh, it's a, some bored dudes. It's a little less rape and pillagey. I'll be honest. Uh, Com- yeah, just compared little, to the other two, <laughs> a little less capture the flaggy, if you will. Uh, if, you're, <laughs> if you're Dan Zaleski, yeah, that's a it's it's a it's a weird sport. Mm-hmm. It's a weird sport. Arguably one of the weirdest we have ever featured on this. Yeah, thinking back to it, yeah, I yeah, I can't really. I mean, Sapak de Kral wasn't bad. That's not weird though. That's just neat. No, yeah, the the bike one wasn't weird. Um, yeah. oh, you mean the bike one where you forgot to hit record? Uh, uh never gonna live it down, folks. I'm never gonna never, live it down. Never gonna cycle ball forever yes. will be remembered in my brain. As the time Dan didn't hit record. Cycle ball is cursed. It is. I think this would be fun to do like it like a young arguably since Memorial Day was this weekend or this week. Um, this would be a fun like family. If you, if you have like a bunch of cousins and stuff, you know, and you're all in your like your 20s. I think this would be a fun like, hey, let's do a wife carrying challenge. You know, That'd I think fun. I think that'd be entertaining. Yeah, I like the idea of doing this, like, in the place of a charity 5K. That's a good one, too. I didn't even think of that, but that's a nice idea. Yeah, because everyone has, like, the, you know, they they join the 5K and, like, they the money goes towards, you know, whatever cause or whatever. Instead of that, it could be way quicker to just, hey, listen, you're not going to run 3.2 miles. Instead, you're just going to go three football fields. Yep. 
with the wife on your back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, then they like pause and add the detail with your wife on your back. <laughs> <laughs> and that guy goes, ooh, okay. <laughs> Listen, he, he knew what he was signing up for, okay? It's called wife carrying. I It's true, but Dan, America. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't quite have the ring of a 5K. 5K is kind of nice and short and stuck in everyone's brain, so. But, um. Yeah, I definitely think I would give this a go. I'd, uh, I'd give it a try. Yeah. I'd give most things a try. Well, well, how about this? You you go ask Andy what she thinks of it, and then, you know, we'll figure out what her uh, her thoughts are in the um, the close of the show. How about that? I guess we'll see me in a... If she likes it, I guess you'll see me in Maine. Oh, yeah, there you go. Not there a problem at all. You'll see me in Maine. I just... Honestly, I just want to go to Maine, because I've been there before, and it's really nice and pretty and stuff. Yeah. And why not? why not come back? A champion. There you go. And we are wrapped on another edition of the pre-game podcast. Kalen, we got a little bit of sports coming back. Do you have any predictions that you want to make? Well, actually, first, before the predictions, let me not get ahead of myself. Are we possibly seeing you and your wife joining the National Wife Caring Championships? Oh, God, no. Did she not like the idea? (laughs) Her... I so I showed Annie the uh what the sport is and mm-hmm. um she just kind of looked at me and was like oh there's no way in hell there's no way in hell we're doing that <laughs> I was like ah shucks <laughs> I was like fine we'll just go to Maine for another reason then I guess we'll go camping again or something see I knew it was either gonna be all in or all out I I knew there was gonna be no in between on this oh yeah no there's there's I mean, for me personally, there's no in-between on it. I was definitely like, yeah, I totally would like at least try it. My wife, not so much. My wife, not so much. So, All right. Well, I, I might have to just go to the event and find a, a friendly volunteer. <laughs> find a wife? <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Mean, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That sounds really bad when you put it that way, man. Yeah, no, that's why that's why I put it that way. It was a bit of a joke, but... <laughs> All right, now that we know that there's not going to be any wife carrying at any point in the future for, or at least any point in the near future for either of us, you got to change your mind and I got to lock something down. Do you have any predictions for the upcoming week? You know, we're starting to get some sports back. You got anything at all you want to predict about the upcoming week in sports? I think that um, next week we're still going to be sportsless. That's my prediction. Um, Well, we're not entirely sportsless now. Well, we are of the big four. But NASCAR's back. Yeah, na- I mean, NASCAR's back in a capacity. I-, I wish Formula One was back, but that's that's a whole other ballgame because all those teams are, are global. So, you know, that's a, that's a much higher risk for A, spreading the virus, and B, you know, contracting it. There's also a lot more people involved in that, so not going to see. I doubt we'll see an F1 season this year. And to be, to be honest, my prediction, I think, I mean, if you count NASCAR, we have sports. Because I think that's the only one that's actually back in some sort of full-time uh, capacity. You got the German Bundesliga who's back in a full capacity. You still have the Korean baseball organization. Right, right. I'm I'm thinking more. I'm thinking America. Oh, you're. you're thi- I, I knew, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm America. Just, yeah, I think here in the states we're still going to be sportsless for you know anything of major popularity. I know NASCAR's major, but like. Get off of motorsports. I'm you're you're talking big four. Multiple. You're talking big four. Yeah. yeah, big four. I think we're not. We're still out on the big four. 
That's my prediction. I don't know. Do you have a prediction, Dan, for this week? Do you have something you would like to throw on the table? I mean, yesterday we heard from the NHL commissioner, Gary Bettman, that the NHL's regular season's officially over and that when they come back, they have a 2014 playoff with a two-hub city system that they're working out. So I don't know if next week is when it comes back, but... I think uh, he's saying that when it comes back, whenever it's safe to come back. Yeah. And I just but, don't but think it's, it's going to be safe yet. It's a step forward in the right direction. And they, they said that they have protocols in place to get small group workouts started as early as early June, which would be next week. So while uh, uh? here's my prediction, my prediction is that I think the NHL is going to pull it together faster than baseball and basketball. And because of that, I think that at least from a popularity standpoint, the NHL has a lot to gain because they could be the only active big four sport in North America. Oh, their ratings are going to go through the ceiling. Exactly. So I because all of pe- all the people like us are going to be like, oh my god, it's a sport. Yeah. So if they can stick to their protocols that they've outlined and they are back doing workouts in early June and they're able to, you know, make hub cities in Edmonton or or Minneapolis where it's still not as hot as it would be as we get into the you know the deeper parts of summer for this 2014 playoff. I think the NHL has a lot to potentially gain, and that's going to be my prediction: is that the NHL pulls it together faster than than the NBA. They're certainly pulling it faster than baseball's figuring their crap out. So my prediction is that uh, the NHL is able to come out of this looking pretty pretty sweet. That's All that's right, my we'll, pick. We'll see what happens. But that will do it for us this week. Make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram to see what's going on with the pregame podcast. You know, while on every other day of the week, the other six days of the week. That's yeah, the other ones, the the other ones. They they matter too. Wednesday is not the only important day. Okay, the other days <laughs> also matter. Uh, so make sure to follow us on there at pregame underscore pod, pregame underscore pod. Also, make sure to hit up our mailbag. Send us any questions, comments, discussions, anything that you want us to talk about on the show. It is only one message away. Hit us up on the mailbag, the pregame mailbag at gmail.com. And that will do it for myself. My name is Dan Zalewski. I'm Kalen Wolfskill. And we will see you guys next Wednesday. No exit interjection this time. I was trying to think of something. I had something and then I lost it. Like, as I said my name and I was like, ah. Pre-game podcast is produced by Dan Zaleski and Kalen Wolfskill with special guest Ian Roth. Theme music by High On You, a Ruby Media production.